Welcome back to SideQuest episode 51, Zelda Majora's Mask, episode 5, back with me, my esteemed colleagues, Mr. Wes Chance, and just back on board, Mr. Ben Kowalski from quite late on the East Coast. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hey, it's good to be back. Very good. Yep, we're going to start with it this time instead of <laughs> ending with it, I suppose. Excellent. We have yeah. the gong. And so this time around, we thought that we would talk about Snowhead Temple, which I finally uh, had the ability and time to, to defeat with, along with their goat-like um, super demon boss named Goat. Got to <laughs> get the powder keg, got to go through Golom Race, got to see the snow melt around Snowhead Temple, as well as in the mountain village as well as Thorn Village. Got to see Epona and learn her song, and I think you all defeated some ghost slash aliens, whereas I did not defeat them and unfortunately saw Romani get abducted by them, sadly. Oh! But, but for next time, we'll have to work on that. Again, just so many thoughts about repetition and repeating and how this... So something we talked about last time was in what ways is this, uh, is this world of Majora's Mask a, a dark reflection slash potentially an underworld? And Ben had said that he leans more towards the dark reflection than the underworld. I would say that I, I do see the element of repetition, though, as also having a classical correlate in Sisyphus, as well as in popular correlates in movies like, um, I, I'm going to forget the name of the Tom Cruise one where he learns over and over again for the same day that was a science fiction movie. But after it has Tomorrow. To be, uh, yeah, yeah, After Tomorrow, which has the same conceit essentially as Groundhog Day. And that there, there's a similar element of repetition, both in Dante's Purgatorio as well as Inferno, though it's, it's all for naught and without hope in the Inferno. And so just, just, it's like something I keep bringing up every time we play, besides saying this game is hard, is that it does take repetition to get through it. And something we had talked about with Majora's Mask is it gets flack for only having four dungeons. And I said, well, I kind of feel like it's, uh, technically in the other direction, more than four dungeons, because you, at least for me, I'll probably have to do each dungeon twice and have it be eight dungeons. And so I guess the first thing, even though we had said in the pre-show earlier that we wanted to talk about a few things, and I would like to get to them, like lack of romance in this so far, um, is that um, this element of repetition seems to be playing and figuring very big in this game, and especially in this part where you defeat Goat, and then you can get the powder keg, and then you can race in the Goron race. But then if it's too late, you can't get this new great sword with the gold dust that makes it uh, sharp eternally. And then you have to go back and defeat Goat. And even in some of the guides I was looking at, particularly Sonki, it just sort of assumes that you're going to have to do this, and you're going to have to fight this battle again. And so I guess I wanted to ask you all about the theme of repetition and why it plays out so strongly here, and if you saw it as playing out strongly here. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's an awesome intro, I think, to what for me is one of the most strange and and fun things about this game, I guess. Um, there's that replayability of it, like built into the game. In most games, you, you play it through once and then you play it again if you want to try it again or see something new or whatever. But this game actually sort of forces you to redo things over and over again and, and get good at them and, and notice new things as you go along. And maybe sometimes it's a little frustrating, like in the case of doing a dungeon again, right? But in other cases, it's um, there's something kind of delightful about it. Um, there's, you know, the uh, all the different mini games 
um, that you can sort of find uh, scattered throughout Clocktown in the different um, parts of the world there in Termina. But there's also things that you don't have to do again, right? Like you mentioned the, the gold uh, sword. And that I find really interesting too, that when you find certain items, you don't have to do them again. They, they stick with you. They become part of your, your character, right? Your, your um, ability to blow things up with big bombs, right? Once you, once you master that, then you can do that anytime. And the weirdest one maybe is like, is the, the banker. The, the guy who's a beggar in the other game is a banker this time, and he always recognizes you somehow, magically, right? Uh, it, it's a very strange component of the game. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear, Ben, what you think about all that. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on the subject of repetition. First, like, the most obvious thing to me as far as like how the repetition works into the way that the game itself functions and the way that sort of you interact with it is the schedule. Um, the fact that like every character in the game has their own schedule, their own itinerary, their own set of things to do. Um, and, you know, you have to repeat the game in order to familiarize yourself with it because they're acting in time. Um, like it's this very unique element to Majora's Mask. Like I've seen it in several other games. And in fact, I just played one called Outer Wilds, which is, which uses the same element of repetition to incredible effect. Um, but sort of like down to the minute you can track, like where will Andrew be at any given moment? Where will the postman be on his track? Like, even though he tells you, you know, I can't stop, can't stop to talk or else I'll be off my schedule. You know, that, level of clockwork precision is incredibly important because it means mm. that you know you can interrupt your dungeon and be like wait no i have to be here at twelve thirty to meet andrew in order to get the cafe quest going or i have to be at this point in order to do to try and get the sun mask um like the only way to figure that stuff out is to play through it and see how your decisions affect the world like how people react to you messing with that predetermined schedule um like i was just playing through um the first couple days uh as the deku scrub as i'm sort of like trying to you know catch up with you guys and um <laughs> i noticed that if you don't talk to andrew on the i think it's the it's the second day when when uh when it's raining she takes her umbrella and she walks down to the laundry pool and she just sits there waiting for a cafe, um, oh. like trying to figure out what she's going to do. And this is assuming that you don't talk to her, that you don't sort of set up the meeting between the two of them. If you don't sort of put things into motion left to her own devices, she's sitting just that far away from him. You can even ring the bell. He'll come out, look, and then immediately run back in again. And she doesn't recognize him because he's small. Um, <laughs> but um, in order to know all of that information, you have to play it through multiple times. It's the only way to get that. Um, like you have to play through, you have to see the bomber's notebook and the little schedule blocks that it sets for each character. And you have to know, you know, what tricks and what time saving devices you can use to get that sort of information. Um, which I think is a really interesting game device more than just even like a thematic device. Um, like as interesting as it is to sort of watch you and your experience mature as you play through this timeline and sort of interact with the characters. Uh, I was also kind of struck to think um, like at the same time as Majora's Mask was 
sort of being developed and came out. Uh, there was another series of games that definitely used the same structure, if not the same mechanic, um, namely the Hitman series, which I know is kind of a weird one. Um, but bullet the whole... Time. Have you uh, played it? Bullet Time, right? Not even that so much. Um, the Hitman games were were very much designed to be these little levels, like fairly manageable, although they get bigger over time. But you were supposed to repeat them. You were supposed to fail um, over and over and have to go back through the level and have to wow. learn all the tips and tricks in order to navigate through it. So like the very first level in the very first game is they drop you off in a street corner and your job is to assassinate this one person. And you've got multiple ways to do it. But the key is every time you start the level, it's always in the same state. And the people will always come from the same directions and they'll always stand in the same spot. So, you know, you can choose which is the best sniper perch, which is the best approach to getting your target. Um, and to this day, the, the gameplay loop is the same. Like we're on the second generation of Hitman games and they're way classier and flashier than they were, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, but it's still the same mechanic, this big sprawling world with a lot of moving pieces and a lot of people on a very fixed schedule. So you can be in the right place at the right time and affect things to make, you know, all of the sort of like triggered responses occur so you can get your targets. Again, it's a very different use, but the repetition is still the key. Knowing the world is still the primary way that you interact with these characters and get things done. It's interesting because it's almost like it is a cyclical or, or sort of Mino or Plato's Mino sort of recovery of that which has been lost sort of theory of education. I'm seeing a lot of um, cyclical uh, of like an idea of metempsychosis, a Pythagorean idea, a Virgilian uh, Aeneas book six sort of circular way of going through things idea that it's almost as if what's being said here as we go through multiple days and go through the game multiple times and go back through the timeline. And again, it's like Camus too. He has in The Stranger, his character who's committed murder, think about the fact that if you've lived through one day, you have enough to think about for all eternity. I think yeah. that's part of what's being said by the three days that we find ourselves in and just how different they look say to you, Ben, who's playing through this with some expertise and me who am playing through it as a neophyte, a first timer. And I just don't have those repetitions that you have. And I think mm -hmm. also that's probably something that adds to Wes's pleasure. Like some of the things that I'm finding very difficult, especially as an adult now, are like sort of pleasant things to return to, which is probably, you know, a lot of how I felt during Final Fantasy VII. But it's almost like there's even a notion of education for individuals nowadays that like all of society and all of uh, what culture is seems to be the accruing of this information about how things work, sort of like a clock, sort of like a medieval idea of a uh, great chain of being. Mm -hmm. um, and that what is done every generation is that, that like all the mechanics that we figured out are laid back out for someone and then something new is added as well. Um, and I just, I wonder if you, either of you two see something like that going on. In here too because we, I, I mean everything takes repetition in this game so often and there seems to be some idea that that is part of learning but then also part of learning is restoring to you something that you have won, once lost which we actually literally are attempting to do through getting the Pona back learning these songs that we want to getting Majora's Mask and even earning our status as a hero 
Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I notice is um, repeating repeating events of the game, and especially the dungeons. Um, it frequently it frequently makes it more efficient. Like after you've played through any one of the dungeons, if you want, if you come back in another three day cycle and try and go back into the dungeon, like the front pad will glow and it will offer you this opportunity to get teleported directly to the boss because you already have their remains. Um, and I find that that's, that's such an interesting, a sort of interesting compliment to the repetition. Like repetition as a rule um, again, like to take the myth of Sisyphus as an example, we, we tend to abhor repetition. We don't want to do the dishes every night. We don't want okay. to perform the same Creative. tasks over and over again. Um, but by performing the tasks over and over again, you find shortcuts. You learn, you know, don't put down the spoon, just go directly from wash to dry to cupboard. Um, like that's the most efficient, the fastest way to do it. Um, and so much again is sort of pointing to like life and life experience at large. We repeat things so we find better ways to use our time. So we don't have to do to spend so much time working at these dungeons, working at you know menial tasks. We want to we want to find the shortcuts. We want to you know go cut our way through. And I mean, even if we look as far back in gaming history as like the original Super Mario. Like you've got to play level one one every time that you start the game, no matter how many times you play it. Um, but the more you the more you repeat it, the more times that you play through the game, the more you will find the tricks. The more that you'll find the shortcuts. You'll learn how to skip levels. You'll find where the extra lives are. You'll learn how to bypass so much of what was tedious before. Right. Yeah. And again, I think because of the way that the game is laid out for you each time the same way. And, and there's games that don't do that, of course, right? Like uh, I think of Spelunky uh, mm -hmm. as a recent example, right? It, it sort of randomizes and um, there, there's all sorts of, you know, random elements to keep things interesting. And even within like a scheme of repetition, like you talk about mm -hmm. there's certain shortcuts, there's, you know, um, being able to, to fly with, um, the song of soaring to get from place to place quickly once you've been there once and struck the the owl statue with your sword um and and i think about this too in terms of the um again those items that you you pick up that that stick with you you know there's the difference between the sword that you've upgraded once and the sword that you've upgraded with the gold dust that you win at the um at the rolling competition, right? I think there's definitely some kind of metaphor there, right? For, for two kinds of, of learning, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the kind that you um, have like procedurally maybe uh, done a thing a few times and sort of like, it, it sort of works, you know, but maybe it'll wear off, you'll forget it. Versus right. that, that learning, which is, you know, fixed. You've, you've recollected it, you've, you've got it. And that's, I guess, the gold sword, right? Like you, f you understand, you know the way to uh, whatever the city was that they were trying to get to in the Mino. Uh, I should probably reread that. But, but yeah, I, I think I think there's something there for sure. And so, yeah, I wanted to ask you more about that, Wes. What is it that you think? So you think so in the Theaetetus by Plato, and I'm not to just overuse his metaphors on learning, but he says that learning is like imprinting into wax. That sometimes you sort of imprint just a little bit, 
and you know it's sort of general and vague and easily disappears and then sometimes you really deeply imprint something and really get the form of it and it seems like you're saying that something about this game it's almost like there are checkpoints in this game as there were in like those old arcade racing games or maybe like the wave the wave master games or like one of the racing indie games that um there are certain things that you do not have to relearn this seems to connect with what you're saying then that then you seem to be giving a, a pretty good treatise on why repetition is necessary to learning because it leads to those it leads to those soaring jumps. It leads to learning those uh, learning what is unnecessary and what is necessary. What is the most efficient path towards doing something? And that also speaks very I, I would say speaks to me as a teacher, not only as as somebody who requires people to do this, but even in my practice as a teacher, my ability to teach, uh, say essay writing, like there. If without with only thinking in a rationalist way about how to implement or execute the teaching of an essay, I would not get access to the same sort of information as I would empirically from actually issuing instructions and seeing what real world problems come up. In fact, this connects very much to a thought I've been having about Shakespeare that I think he becomes such a master of language because of how much practice he gets actually having to execute writing plays. Mm -hmm. And um, that it, it, it's like, um, both you and Wes are saying something like, um, through repetition, something much deeper than repetition starts to set in. Something, something like an ability through seeing massive amounts of patterns to see bigger patterns, which enable you to, to cover more ground, literally speaking, um, that uh, enables you to um, move faster within the world. Yeah, especially like especially with all of the Zelda games, there are those very obvious checkpoints, as you said, those milestones. Like every time you get a new item that persists in your inventory in Majora's Mask, be it, you know, um, the hook shot or the bow or uh, having the song, the um, opponent's song, you know, this allows you to interact with the world in a permanent way. Um, it a lot like having the horse means that you can traverse the ground literally faster than you could just walking. Um, having the hookshot means that you can skip whole sections of the Gerudo fortress. Um, all of these tools um, could very well represent like specific leaps in knowledge. You know the the and even more than just like the individual knowledge, but think of how science has worked in leaps and bounds. Um, how, you know, you have the Copernican revolution and suddenly a whole new vista to you. Um, you get the laws of gravitation from Isaac Newton and all of a sudden there's like an explosion of learning surrounding this information. Um, it doesn't happen gradually. Um, and maybe it's just me reading Foucault lately that's informing my event-driven history, <laughs> but um, you get this sense that you know once you once you have that aha moment that epiphany once once you get the formula or once you get the the sort of key information now you don't have to do all of the steps that led you up to that point once you know how to multiply addition becomes less important um you don't have to add all those numbers over and over and over again you can just do the do the multiplication and call it a day um, and Zelda has always managed to capture that um, with the way that the items have consistently worked since uh, Ocarina of Time and even since Link to the Past. Yeah, that, that's a, a great way to think about it. I mean, and, and I guess 
in terms of of knowledge that is crystallized and that can be passed on um, versus knowledge that allows you to do something new, like a, a practice or or an act activity or whatever, uh, Matt, I, I don't think that there's really necessarily an opposition there. I, I do think they, they seem to really kind of work together. Um, and and maybe there's something to like the the danger of that in the, in the form of Majora's Mask, right? It's like there's this, yeah. this crystallized thing, which once you put it on, you can't take it off or it's very difficult to get, get it off again. And, and it makes you do certain things just by nature of the way that you see the world now, right? Through these, these slits, um, the mask possesses you. And I, I certainly think certain kinds of learning and ideas are, are just that dangerous, right? They, they, they make you into a much worse person, <laughs> right? Um, and then it, it's sort of a matter of, of falling back on other maybe procedures and sorts of knowledge um, and going through certain uh, processes and, and games, if you like, right, rituals to to try to to undo some of that damage, right? Connect back with the the, the giants that um, uphold the world, right? To to mm -hmm. save the day. Um, there, there's there's definitely a, a danger to certain kinds of knowledge, and um, much worse than just like the frustrating having to do the dungeon again. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed too, I mean, as I've been playing through, I've noticed more and more this theme of maturity running through the game. Um, like, I know that uh, when I when you were reading what I wrote earlier, you mentioned uh, sort of the discussion about alienation and how, like, as a Deku scrub, everybody looks down on you. And while some of that, I think, is just the fact that he's a Deku scrub, more often than not, when you talk to people in Clock Town on those first three days, they talk about you as a kid. Like that's why they won't let you leave. Um, even on the third day when like everybody's deserted clock town, if you talk to one of the guards as a Deku scrub, he would be like, look, I want you to leave as much as anyone else, but your parents are probably looking for you. Um, I can't let you leave until they find you or, you know, then something worse will happen. Like the disconnect will be an even worse situation. Um, and again, so often uh, when Link as a human, as a Deku scrub, as anyone interacts with one of the other characters, it's usually in terms of that maturity. Um, so like there was even a moment I was playing through the, the swamp area and met uh, the one witch in the forest who's been injured. She got knocked off her broom by the skull kid and she needs a potion. If you, if you go to her without the potion, which you have to the first time around, you don't have the bottle at that point. Um, she says, well, you know, what good are you anyway? Like, yeah. you're not all that you're cracked up to be. Um, here we thought you were the hero and you show up empty-handed. Come on. Um, so again, you need the knowledge to get there. Um, and it's that maturity that she expects. Uh, like, by carrying the sword, the guards let you leave, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're fully equipped to be the hero at this point. Um, it takes time. It takes work. Right, and some things have to be redone and repeated mm -hmm. over and over again. And something interesting about this is that I think uh, a soft way to interpret this would be sort of like in sort of a baptismal way or in that Virgilian underworld way that like, well, you always get a second chance. You get another chance, but I don't think the game actually comes over to that point quite, quite like that. I think the game is actually fairly firm about, uh, even though there is a cyclical nature to the time here, that there being a sense of progression and that there is a certain, a certain level of progression after which certain things are lost, like the Deku but, butlers 
son, for example. Like there, there's, there is still lost time. There are still things lost within the world. Um, like, you know, potentially even the chance for, uh, we'll see, you know, whether there's redemption for Majora's Mask or the person wearing it right now, the imp. But, but I mean, I just think as sort of a comic example of this is sort of Tingle, right? I think we started touching on him last time. But, but I think there's, there's something really negative and gross and interesting in him and in that he seems to be sort of like what you were from the Ocarina of Time, like a man who thinks he's an elf. But he seems to be sort of like the negative, like, I don't know, video game player who refuses to grow up or something. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong about him, but he's literally at middle age, 35, and has not received his, his fairy yet. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like he has failed to grow up, and he's lost his chance. Or uh, um, it is what I'm seeing there that this game is saying that there are you know and you know who knows what's going to happen in Tingle's life, and maybe he's perfectly successful selling maps. But um, uh, it does seem as if the game is not saying that you do have infinite chances to make everything right all the time. Yeah, I think too. There's a there's a suggestion there that the role is wrong uh, with Tingle. Like, um, if you talk to if you talk to Tingle, he says, "Well, I'm 35, but my fairy hasn't come to be come to me yet. But I haven't given up hope." But then, if you talk to the guy at the the swamp tours, like the big guy over at the side who um, checks your picto box pictures, he has a relationship with Tingle. I suspect that he's his father. Um, and like initially when you talk to him, he's actually grumbling about Tingle, about how it's immature for him to be going around looking for fairies at his age. Um, but what's worse, if you take a picture of Tingle with the picto box and submit that as your picture, he gets very uncomfortable and he ultimately just like gives you a piece of heart to get rid of you. (laughs) Um, it's this really bizarre little side quest. Um, so on the one hand, Tingle is meant to be sort of like, again, that sort of dark reflection of who Link is, the person who lost his fairy um, and is now sort of palling around with this fairy in the meantime, someone who had one and now it is not there, even though, you know, whether Link is supposed to have a fairy or not is a whole question in, uh, for Ocarina of Time. But on the other hand, like Tingle's not supposed to have a fairy. He, he wasn't a Kokiri. He wasn't a forest child. Termina isn't anywhere near Kokiri forest. So, you know, the same rules do not apply. Um, the couple of fairies who you do run into seem to be unattached to humans unless, you know, they decide to pal around with them like Tattle and Tail do with, with uh, the Skull Kid. But they're not, they're not required. It's not a rite of passage as it was um, in Kokiri Forest at the beginning of Ocarina of Time. So Tingle's very out of place there. Um, his search is wrong-headed. Um, he is not meant to, to have a fairy. He is not meant to participate in the hero's quest in that sense. He's a map maker. Um, and I think everybody sort of knows this. Like... Tingle himself is sort of kidding himself into thinking that he can still be, still be a kid, still play that role. And I think that does line up with this sort of negative view of the gamer as being stunted, um, as being unwilling to grow up. Like Majora's Mask is a game, is a tough game. There's a lot of darkness in it one way or the other. And it, I think that 
issue of maturity is very much at the heart of it. But, you know, just as a lot of the characters have to make these very difficult decisions in order to mature, Tingle is one of those who hasn't been able to make that decision and is thus stuck. Yes, yes, arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, held aloft by his red balloon. <laughs> you know, uh, literally like disconnected, right? And yeah. that makes him such a great map maker though, right? Like he he knows these places like no one else. He he gives you these maps which have like magical properties. You, you can see everything um, that's there that you can actually go to. Um, so th- there's something, you know, he has like a kind of savant, you know, skill in that way. Uh, it's, it's not very practical in some sense, like it's not very healthy for him, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it's great uh, for you <laughs> as a yeah. person who does go around and uh, gets to do heroic things within this world that he has, has so accurately sketched for you. Um, yeah, I, I remember that you can take a picture of him and show it to the guy in the swamp. Um, I, I also, um, I think to this maturity question, the whole uh, idea of taking pictures, I know in, this, in, this, in the Gerudo um, fortress, right, one of the things you have to do is get a picture of one of the uh, Gerudo, right? Yes. The, the who are like these these um, sort of Princess Jasmine looking characters, right? And and take it to uh, the fisherman. He really wants to see a picture of them. And the same thing happens in the Zora Fountain place. You you got to take a picture of the singer and show it to somebody there. I think he he's like a big fan of hers. And there, so there's something there's something creepy about um, kind of this question of maturity as it relates to uh, romance or sexuality in the game. Um, uh, obviously, that's not like an issue for, for Link himself so much in this, mm-hmm. in this particular game, uh, but, it, but it's there in, in strange kind of manifestations. Oh. It's halfway, Mark. All right, and so, yeah, I, so that theme of not yet being matured rather than having missed the opportunity to mature, and so something I was talking about in the pre-show, being interested to hear your comments on, were the lack of sort of romantic interest of Link in this game that are so conspicuous in Ocarina of Time. For instance, even in Kokiri Forest, he has that young, I think, blue-haired Kokiri mm-hmm. that he talks to. He then has a Sora princess who's pretty interested in him. I think there's even a Gerudo girl who's fairly explicit with yep. him. Nibiru yeah. is not subtle. Yeah, by no means subtle. And um, so, you know, and of course, Princess Zelda, and it's, you know, who, who herself plays a sort of Rosalind figure as also the, the Sheikh or the Sikh. And um, so, you know, it's very much, there's an idea of romance being a part of growing up there, just as it's very much integral to the Harry Potter series. But what do you make of the fact that it seems to be in the background or is in some way perverted or perverse in this world, or at least how we've been conveying it in that sort of vicarious element uh, so far. Also yeah, through, th- of course, a lens. Mm-hmm. I think the two, the two sort of missing elements here, like there's definitely an element of voyeurism, especially as it relates to the picto box and sort of this arrested development, dealing with Tingle and some of the sort of Im- immature sexuality of some of the other characters. But 
Um, on the one hand, we also see a couple of romances that do work, specifically Cafe and, and Anju. Um, and that one is really sort of convoluted in its relationship to maturity, because on the one hand, like they're both grown people, but then Cafe is turned young and Andrew seems to accept him anyway. Like it's, it's not entirely clear what the thesis is there, um, except that that relationship does seem perfectly healthy. If anything, the concern is about appearances only, and that's that's not a good reason to to quit the romance. Like while you have all these characters looking for pictures, trying to be voyeurs, on the other hand, you have this this couple who has a very intimate relationship, a very loving one, um, and a very almost doomed uh, romance. And it's like the game frames it as a good thing, um, without any any sort of apology or or hedging about the subject. Um, but the, the other quest that sort of springs to mind as far as the romance is concerned is uh, actually like after, after you do theoretically save Romani from the aliens, um, you have an, a very unique relationship with the older sister, Kremia, um, in a follow-up side quest. And while she does not actually strike up like an earnest romance with Link, the hero, Again, it's tied to maturity. Um, the reward you get for fighting off the Gorman brothers and protecting their their milk caravan as it's shipped to um, Clocktown, you get the you get the cow mask, Kremia's uh, mask, which is a sign of maturity. Like it's it's the the pass you need to get into the milk bar, um, which is sort of coded as like a you know twenty one and older actual bar. So as soon as you start wearing that mask, everyone accepts you as an adult. Uh, and sometimes it's even explicit how that works. Um, and Kremia will hug you if you already have the mask. So there is this sort of subtle sexuality or romance element, but it's, it's very slight, um, sort of on par with your relationship with uh, Romani or the character Malin um, back in Ocarina of Time. Like she's not one of the romantic interests. She's one of the few characters who actually like survives the seven year period and does not get sort of subsumed into the temple of light. Um, she's one of the few characters who you can return to. Uh, but it's also very understated in that romance. Um, like in Ocarina of Time, the Zora uh, princess is very forward with you, like almost aggressively so um, it, to the point that it's just sort of silly. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, and likewise, Nibiru's blatant sexual advances are just completely out of place in some ways. Um, but with with Malin, it's not that out of place. It's it's okay. Like, you, you were kids together, and then you saved her farm. She would be a legitimate person to have a relationship with, to settle down with. Um, and that follows through in her counterpart in Majora's Mask. Um, but the other element, I think, is that Link, Link's relationship to other characters is very different in this game as well. He is, he's not the motive force. Um, he's a blank slate. Like, like he is whatever mask he is wearing at any given moment. So it's very hard for him to, to be a character in that sense. 
you know, where everyone in Ocarina of Time said, hey, you're, you're obviously the hero. So, you know, I relate to you in some way, be it Zelda, you know, sort of instigating activities with that romantic undercurrent or, you know, the Zora princess making her deliberate advances. Like they relate to him because they know he's a big deal. He's important. Whereas you're kind of just in the shadows in this game. And that's sort of your role. Half the characters you interact with don't even realize it's you. Um, like again, playing through the, the forest temple, when you approach the monkey in the cage, there's this sort of absurd interaction where if you start by interacting with him as the Deku scrub, he'll say, you know, I, I didn't do it. I'm not guilty as though you're just one of his persecutors. But if you talk to him as Link, he will immediately open up to you and then ask you, do you have an instrument that will carry over long distances? And you have to transform into the Deku scrub again, at which point he says, oh, and who are you? As though, you know, he doesn't recognize just the putting on of the mask is enough to completely obscure your appearance, even when you were in the exact same spot that you were talking to him before. Um, so since Link doesn't have an identity, he can't very well have a romance. And it's only in his human form that he does. And only in those couple of situations where he has to be human to progress the story that he can actually have a relationship of that sort. So Kremia and uh, Romani are two of the only characters that he can have that relationship with. That just, yeah, Wes, um, I, I want to shoot, I just want to share a theory really quickly that that made me think. Go it for it. Me one, it makes me wonder whether part of what we're circling around here is, again, something about being a kid is being protean, having those shifting forms, like in His Dark Material, mm -hmm. uh, how your, your diamond can constantly change, but then once you're an adult, it seems to take a form, a very particular form, like you become a type, and that protean element sort of disappears. What, what is sort of making me think here, the fact that Link is so different and identityless identity list here he is so protean and that you can put on the mask and he's treated in different ways but i think that is subsumed that is within the the larger arc potentially of the fact that this game might be saying that regardless of what your age is your maturity can change depending upon the endeavor you're engaging in for example if i'm playing baseball that i like i played for 30 years and studied i can achieve one heck of a level of a maturity in relation to that game but if you then like put me performing ballet, I'm again going to have to be like a youth. Like I'm going to be like a young person again. Uh, if you put somebody into new territory, regardless of what that happens to be, whether it's now confronting death or being identityless after being, you know, a big shot or a hero in this uh, non-reflected world or this lightly reflected world, that when you throw someone into new territory, you also affect their attitude, that they go from a mature place or a place where they can be mature due to experience uh, into a place where they are now immature and where they're going to have to now gain and gather experience in order to become mature. It's as if this game is a reflection on, on how you age as well and how you don't age in a simply linear fashion uh, because the world doesn't work in a simply linear or chronological fashion, right? Like you have more and less meaningful days, more and less impactful moments in your life that you then have to adapt to. And it's like this game is sort of trying to prepare you for that. Um, and Wes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Uh, I, I was just going to say something like kind of simple, I guess, about the cow mask. Um, I, I think it's a, a pretty strange moment how she sort of decides that you've, you've matured now. Um, but it, it certainly makes you sort of look at that um, squarely, right? Like think about that really uh, in, a, in a pretty direct way. It's like it forces you to be reflective on what the game is saying about maturity, if that is what it means to, you know, have grown up, right? Um, to have accompanied this, um, you know, eligible young woman from her home to the big city and bringing this uh, valuable cargo, protecting it from the thieves who would, would take it, right? Um, and then sort of behind all of that, right, she tells you something extra about Andrew and Cafe, right? Maybe, maybe that's the hint that you needed to really get going in earnest on their quest. Um, but of course, you'd have to start time again to, to do it. Um, and I, I guess I think that with that, um, there's something too about the ways that the um, the milk bar uh, at the very end of the game becomes like a critical place because once you have the ability to buy what they sell there, you, you're pretty much untouchable at that point, right? You, you get um, infinite magic from that. That's, that's like true maturity or something like that, perhaps. Uh, the other example that I would throw out for like super maturity maybe is, um, is the old uh, grandma, right? The grandma who tells you stories. Uh, I, I just think she's such a wonderful character and, and her little storyline is so interesting that you have to find a way to stay awake during her stories so that you can actually hear them and she rewards you for that. I, I love that part of the game. Yeah, the, the Chateau Romani, the, the magic milk that gives you the the infinite magic, like there's a lot going on with sort of its interaction and its effects on you um, like again, it sort of is sort of cutely standing in for alcohol in some sense. Like they serve it at the bar; it's the really <laughs> fancy stuff. Like everybody wants it. Um, it goes at a ridiculously high price if you sell it at the curiosity shop. Like it, it it's good stuff. Um, and w the only way that you can get it is with a maturity mask or by completing Andrew's quest. And it does make the so much, so much easier. Like if you have Chateau Romani going into the, the, the boss fight in the Stone Tower Temple, it's a breeze. Yeah. If you have it when you have the Fierce Deity Mask and fight Majora himself in like the final battle, it's a breeze. That makes things so much easier. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like it's tied to two really interesting characters. On the one hand, you've got the circus guy, like the, the Gorman brother who is oh, yeah. apparently dissociated from his friends over at the farm. Um, and on the, like, the relationship between the two is really weird. When you meet the initial Gorman brothers, they're kind of jerks. They're the ones who are sort of like wearing these masks to attack the, the caravan when you're protecting it from them. So it's like they're trying to steal the maturity um, rather oh, than gain it honestly. But at the other end, uh, the, the guy at the bar, who again is one of the same brothers, he's sitting there sort of bemoaning his woes. Um, there's obviously a backstory, a past there. And one of the little quests that you do in the bar is you play your instrument. It reminds him of this song 
that sort of brings back this whole chain of memories um, and overwhelms him emotionally. Like he remembers seeing Rudo, the, the Zora singer, um, and being profoundly moved by her. And he gives you his own mask, um, the circus leader's mask, which cries. Like that's the defining characteristic. You walk around with this mask on and it does nothing but cry. Um, and if you wear it, when you're defending Kremia's wagon from the Gorman brothers, they will attack you. They'll stop. The entire like quest becomes just them standing at a distance, following you almost solemnly um, as though they're escorting you instead of attacking. And just like on the one hand, you've got these people trying to steal maturity. On the other hand, you've got this person who is almost over matured, who has experienced too much and that mm. itself earns respect in its own right. Yeah, and just the idea that two of the items that you get are both uh, white milk mm-hmm. and gold like honey. It's just you, you have both like the images of the celestial rose in heaven from Dante, which is described alternatively as golden and as white. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just even the pagan idea of the place of milk and honey and the idea of like a paradise or an Eden is it is itself cyclical. It is a, a perpetual motion perfection machine, right? Like the <laughs> mover at the center of the universe. It is the thing, the gift that keeps on giving as the Neoplatonists would say the, uh, the, you know, the ever giving thing that never receives that is right. the, um, the overflowing Panuma. I guess. A seity as the right. divine characteristic, right. yeah. Right, but like the idea is that from, from this sort of taking of nature and the idea that you learn this from the old woman, right? Like you, you are learning the lessons literally of nature that you have to be awake to, um, to articulate it. That it, is, that it enables you to have a perspective or a maturity that is the gift which then keeps on giving right? Because in any situation you're in, you can derive true information from, and that's like true manna. And that's like, um, you know, so that, I think I see the cyclical nature, even in the images that uh, the the game uses to to show sort of an equilibrated or a perfected state of a finite being. At the same time, though, there's sort of there's another side to this, like Chateau Romani may be sort of like nectar of the gods operating this sort of perfected role, but it also, it also has a sort of, like I've been suggesting that it's an analog for alcohol this whole time because the game kind of treats it like that. You can't get into the bar without the mask and you can only get the, the Chateau Romani in the bar. But if you follow Kremia and Romani around on the third day, um, Romani tells you that uh, she has, to this point, not been allowed to drink Chateau Romani, and she's not allowed to participate in the festival because she's too young. She's not grown up yet. And on the third day, she tells you that Kremia has changed her mind, and she has decided that tonight she's going to give Romani... Uh, the Chateau Romani for the first time. Why? Because Romani is an adult now. It doesn't mean that she's going to the festival. She's not going to leave. She's not going to participate in like the taking the 
the milk to town the way that she wants to, all of the other signifiers of maturity are gone. But what's important is that it's the third day. Like she's being put to sleep with Chateau Romani. So when the moon falls, she won't feel pain. And that too seems to be this other side of maturity. Like the reason why the, the, the circus leader, the Gorman brother leader is hanging out at the bar is not because he wants to remember these things. It's because he wants to forget. Um, and the Chateau Romani allows him to do that. Like on the one hand, it is this sort of idealized thing, this perfection. But on the other hand, it is a profound escapism. Um, it is something you get access to because of all of the things that you've suffered, because of all the things that you could suffer. Um, maturity is related to that pain. And the game has a very profound respect for those who have suffered to get to that point. They're rewarded. They're rewarded with escape. Uh, that's profound because that recalls to me sort of the reward of Frodo as well, that he gets to escape after having done his grand, uh, spoiler alert, after having done yeah. his grand uh, um, feat of throwing the ring into Mount Doom. Um, simple enough task, but he gets to leave and go to the, the White Isles. Um, but also, also that reminds me of just the dual aspect of wine as both intoxicating, but also renewing in the Dionysian fashion. It renews itself, but it can also be used to intoxicate. So there's like an enlightening aspect to it, uh, you know, in vino veritas, but there's also an aspect of being able to delude yourself. And also it just, it, that also recalled to me the idea of the river Lysi from the Greek Lanthano to forget the, the river that you get in earthly paradise, the top level of purgatory. One of the rewards is you get to forget yeah. um, everything that happened. And so there does seem to be a, both a negative and a positive connection to the idea of forgetting due to the nectar of life. Is that like a baptismal reward for you? Is that just a, a, a crass escapism? What is that exactly? Um, and then probably that's got to be the last uh, question that we either confuse or enlighten on tonight. <laughs> I think the one particularly interesting element that that ties into is the fact that um, for every character in this game except you, uh, there's only three days, like only one set of three days. Whatever goes wrong, whatever mistakes you make, you are the only one who remembers them. Um, which to sort of tie back to like what we're talking about here, if the reward for maturity and for suffering is to be able to forget, then that means that Link is the exception. Um, he has to remember. He will experience all this and he will retain it because for him, each cycle isn't a cycle. It's part of a longer line. He has to traverse this whole thing. And if anything, his job is to protect people from the pain and the suffering and the horror that is about to come upon them. Um, he, he stands in as sacrifice in a very likely Christian sense, because it is three days after all. Um, the sins of the world are carried on his shoulders and they do not have to be borne by the other people in this world. And that's, 
that's tough for you as Link, for sure. Um, but it's great for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, as a person playing the game too, right? Like you, you also get to forget maybe some some cares that you have in your real life uh, mm -hmm. for the time that you're playing. And uh, well, maybe that's, you know, not such a bad thing if, if you get some perspective on it uh, as a result of getting a little relaxation or, or respite. Um, the, the way that, you know, I guess we'll come back to this at the very end, right? The way that that operates um, in terms of beating the game, I mm. think is interesting too, though. It's like, so, so now what, right? Like yeah. you, you accomplished the thing. Well, what, what happens now to this hero? Um, and I, I think the Christian story has that same ambiguity or, or you know, Tolkien appeals to it in that essay uh, where he talked about escape, right? And, and how that's not such a bad thing. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a myth among myths. It's, it's got a special quality to it for those who believe in it. But what, what really sets it apart, right? That, that's a difficult question. And if it is a historical one in some sense, well, history has, has kept on going, right? And there's still plenty yeah. of terrible things happening that drive us to, you know, play video games to escape them, right? So, and, and read fantasy novels and, and all that good stuff. So, so there's a really interesting, perplexing uh, component to that. And, and I really like that that you've drawn that out here. I, I think this has been a really excellent conversation, guys. Agreed. I agree, yeah. Raphael and Adam have certainly taken their fill of Edenic food tonight. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think, you know, again, that's, that's the value of this endeavor. You know, my girlfriend was making fun of me the other day. She was like, what eternal question has playing that video game brought up? For you <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I sort of was laughing to myself and it's like, you know, it's like a magician being off stage. It's like, you can, uh, it's like once I'm having the conversation with the guys, we'll figure it out. It's like, we just, we're, the, the land is as of now just mapped, but we're not treading it together. Once we are, we'll see what's there. And, you know, again, there's this, this too seems to be a land of milk and honey. Mm -hmm. And to sort of draw it back to that Socratic recollection metaphor, the only way to remind each other is to dialogue. Um, yeah, we got to talk it through. Right. Got to, got to. I know a lot more now and a lot less than I did before. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. All right. So for this next time we were thinking about, um, I, I better get this horse and uh, defeat these aliens. But do we want to go on to the Zora beachfront, is it? What is it? Or did we want to, I know that we had kicking around the idea of doing more in town. Well, I think, I think we should go to the sea. Um, yep. do, okay. do as much of the, uh, you got to co kind of explore a bit. It, it's sort of like each one gets a little more involved. Um, so yeah, see what you see when you get there at the Great Bay. Will do, will do. I'll head on over. Okay, well guys, onto your, your next side quest. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs>